right, well, we are continuing our series, Rescued and Redeemed. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 12 today, and we're going to go into chapter 13, Rescued and Redeemed. We're looking at this grand, epic story of how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, how he saved them, how he made them his own. And we're in the heart of that today. So last week, we got to see what is known as the Passover take place, the original Passover and and how that happened. And and we participated together in the Lord's Supper. We saw how that points us to Jesus and ultimately his sacrificial death. He is the Lamb of God. And so we got to participate in that very special and sacred moment together. And I hope you were here for that. And I hope you enjoyed that act of worship and remembrance in that way. But today, we're continuing on to the next part of this story and to see what happens in Exodus 12. But before we dive into that, let me pray and ask the Lord to bless his word and help us to receive it today. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for allowing us just to be here to hear the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to speak into our hearts. Lord, remove any distractions that may be in our minds and our thoughts that would hinder us from receiving the word today. Holy Spirit, speak deep into our hearts. Let your word take root and transform who we are. Make us more like you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So one of my two-year-old son, Hudson, one of his uh, most recent favorite things to say is, because... And what he means is, why? So whenever we ask or wherever we tell Hudson what he has to do, you know, hey, Hudson, come on, let's come brush your teeth, because. Whenever we have to go somewhere, Hudson, come on, let's go get in the car, because. (laughs) He's always just asking, because, right? Maybe one day he'll learn that actually the word is why. (laughs) Most kids are good at asking why. But for Hudson, it's because. Well, today, we're going to see the because, Today in the book of Exodus, we are going to see why Jesus is the Savior he is and how God saved his people, not just from slavery, but to a purpose, to a reason. See, when my little boy says, because, or when you may ask why, what we really want to know is the reason, the purpose. And so today we're going to see the reason that God rescued his people, and it's amazing. This is a major turning point in the story, and really, truthfully, the rest of the book of Exodus is going to show us the reason God rescued his people so that they could become the people of God and learn how to love him and how to worship him and how to live for him and how to love one another. The whole rest of the book is going to be about that redemption and what it leads to. So this major turning point now, the people of Israel, we're going to see today, they're going to be finally free from their slavery. But now what? Why? Because. Where will they go? What will they do to survive? How will they live their lives in this newfound freedom? So remember last week, we saw that final and tenth act of judgment of God against the wickedness of the pagan nation of Egypt and anyone, not just Egyptians, but Israelites, anybody 
who didn't have the blood of a substitute covering their homes was going to receive the judgment of God. And so we looked at that in depth last week, the death of all the firstborn who weren't protected by the blood of a lamb as their substitute. So after that terrifying night in Egypt, after this mighty judgment against sin, here's what happened next. Look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So after all of this, the pagan Egyptians are becoming, are starting to actually recognize the power of the one true God. They're starting to realize, okay, this is serious. We've lost our firstborn. Our economy and our nation has been devastated. This God, maybe he's the one true God. It's amazing, the God of the lowliest people, the God of slaves, has brought the mightiest empire to its knees. Verse 37, we're going to skip down a little bit as we go through the story for sake of time today. Chapter 12, verse 37, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Now, when you add a good estimate of how many women and children there would be with those 600,000 men. Get this. This is not just a little parade leaving town. You're talking between two and three million people. Now, the greater Jacksonville area, I think we're at about 1.6 million. More than that. Imagine trying to get all of us together if you're Moses, all right? I mean, he couldn't just send out a group text. You know what I'm saying? This is a few years before email and text messages, right? So imagine the pressure, not just on him, but everyone else and, and the challenge logistically and the challenge with communication to move that massive amount of people out of Egypt and into some new land that they've never been. Verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock both flocks and herds now this this is amazing how many of you did not know this it wasn't just israelites god saved and awakened the hearts of apparently some of the egyptians and people of other nationalities who may have been living in that area, they saw the wonders, they saw the majesty and the power of God, and they wanted to follow him as well. How awesome is that? It wasn't even just the Israelites showing us that God is a God for all people and anyone who would surrender to him is welcome. And so he's bringing them out, all of them together. Let's keep reading verse 39. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So they didn't even have time for their bread to rise, right? They have to leave quickly. Verse 40, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. 
And I love this verse, verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. 430 years, this people had longed to be free. And God works in a miraculous way to set them free. And in the dark of the night, he watches them. He watches over them. His hand is upon them. Just signifying how his presence is real. And so these people are finally free. But is that the end? Now what? Now what do they do? Where do they go? They're not free now to just do whatever and live however they want. I mean, two million people are going to need some ground rules. You know what I mean? They're going to need some guidance so they can thrive. I mean, think about that. As a civil society, right? I mean, how do you get that many people to operate the same way and, and do you know, act accordingly so that everyone can have a, a nice society to live in? but also as, spiritually speaking, as the people of God. So the Lord begins to give them instructions about some priorities in this newfound life of freedom. There are some things that the Lord wants to establish up front for this two million people to recognize and understand and believe if they are going to make it. Verse 43 through 49 begins these instructions. Look at this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. Verse 45, no foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If... A stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord. Let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law, one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Now, this passage may seem strange and distant in our minds and our modern minds. So moving forward, here's the thing. God wants his people to commemorate, to remember the Passover each year. He is establishing this as a very important feast, a very important remembrance or holiday tradition, if you will. God wants this to be very special and important every year. Why? to remember and to celebrate who God is and how he has rescued and redeemed his people. He loves us deeply, right? And this restriction, this restriction on non-Israelites not being able to participate, listen, it's not discriminatory at all because they are, it's not discriminatory because they're another race or ethnicity. This is an issue of God clarifying who belongs to him. 
So it has nothing to do with race or ethnicity. It has everything to do with who is truly seeking the Lord. Who is truly following the Lord? This is that kind of issue. God wants to clarify who belongs to him. And notice in verse 48 and 49, non-Israelites are welcomed, right? They're welcomed and invited to join the family of God, but they must abide by the same law. He says there's one law, right? That all of God's people abide by. Because God's people, Israelite or not, have been set apart from the rest of the world and now belong to God so they can follow his commands. We'll come back to chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, but for now, let's look at verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So again, remember the Israelites, they had to leave so quickly that they didn't have time for their bread to finish, to, to rise, right? So God is going to use even something like that as a marker, as a visible symbol and reminder, as a means of reminding them every year of the Exodus and how quickly they had to leave, but how great God's providence was. Chapter 13, let's go to look, look at verses 6 through 10. God continues with these instructions. It's very important to remember who you are. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So when your little two-year-old says, because. Right? You tell him. It's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. That's why we're doing this, son. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. What a beautiful tradition that God established for his people to remember who he is and what he's done. Now, look back at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. What is this? Why is God telling them to, to do this? To consecrate something means to set it apart as holy. To dedicate it in a way. Christian author Tony Morita says, the firstborn represented the whole family. By dedicating the firstborn to God, they were saying, our family belongs to you, Lord. That's what this is about. So God gives further instructions. Look at this. Chapter 13, look at verses 11 through 16. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, notice God is declaring he will make good his promise to Abraham, way back from Genesis. He's going to give this people, Abraham's descendants, a promised land. Look at this, verse 12. So what do you do when you get there? You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. 
I don't know how to break a donkey's neck, but sounds painful. Sounds terrible. A terrible process, right? Every firstborn of man among your sons, though, look at this. Every firstborn of man you shall redeem. Verse 14, and when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? Because. Why are we doing this, Dad? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Verse 13. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord, right? But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Verse 16. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Why is God so concerned with his people remembering these things? Why is God so concerned with them keeping these traditions as they move forward in this world as free people? You see, this part of the story today is where we begin to really see the reason that God rescued his people. God doesn't just save his people and then turn them loose and say, all right, now go figure it out. Good luck. Just, hey, it's like, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to buy my children a bicycle and then just put it on, put them on it without training wheels and let go and say, all right, good luck. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to immediately fall over, right? God is wanting to teach his people, slowly over time, year by year, how to pedal, how to balance, how to look for cars coming, right? He is teaching his people how to live in this newfound freedom. God does not just save you from something. He saves you to something. If you've placed your, tr your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and listen, God has rescued you from slavery, but to a new life. You have a new life to live now. Ephesians 2 tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God makes us alive in Christ Jesus. So you know what that means? Get this. Salvation is not the finish line. When you come to know the Lord and you get baptized and you join this church, that's not the, you're not, you can't just sit back and say, whew, I made it. I'm in. I'm good now, right? No. Salvation's not the finish line. It's the starting line because you were dead and now you're alive. What a beautiful thing that the gospel does in our hearts. It transforms us. It creates us anew. In other words, when God saves you, your real life is just beginning, no matter your physical age. And that's what we see happening here in the Exodus story. I know some of these concepts that we're reading about may seem foreign or ancient to us, but it is so important for God's people, spiritually speaking, to realize that their lives are now just beginning. And God's got to lay down some ground rules for them to remember. Because you know what? I don't know about you, but I'm a forgetful person. I mean, how many of you this morning didn't know where your keys were? You know, like it happens. It happens often to me. 
Like, where are my keys? Where are all the things? Right? We are forgetful people by nature. So how good is our gracious God to give us ways to remember how great he is and who we really are? So here's what I want us to see today. God rescues us from sin to three things that we see in this story that are so true for us even today. Here it is. God rescues us from sin to, number one, a new identity. A new identity. When I moved to Florida, me and my wife, Christy, a few years ago, we moved here to Florida to come be here at Kernan with you guys in 2019. And guess what we had to do? We had to go to the DMV. And it was so wonderful. <laughs> I have to watch my language here. For, you know. <laughs> it was great, right? But you know why we were there? Because we had to get a new driver's license, a new identification card. So I had to get rid of my South Carolina one and embrace this new residency here in Florida. And it's been great. We love it. The reason, the reason God is so clear about who can and cannot partake in the Passover celebration moving forward is because being a part of God's family is not something to take lightly. He is concerned. God is concerned about us embracing this new identification. So circumcision was the sign that you had entered into that covenant community, that your faith was in God and that you believed that your sin must be paid for by the blood of a substitute. You embrace this new identity as a child of God. And notice the, the amazing inclusiveness, right? The invitation was for all people, not just the Israelites. Any foreigner, any sojourner, any stranger, the text says, may join God's family, but God says there is one law for the native and the stranger. In other words, everyone, Israelite or not, Jew or Gentile, must submit to God's rules and his means of identifying his people. So you know what? When you trust Christ to be your Savior and Lord, you know what? You get a completely new identity because you are now a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Peter 2.10. Ken read this for us earlier during worship. Once you were not a people. You were just wandering around, lost in this world. But now, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, look at that new identity you have. And notice that's plural. We're part of a family. It's not just about you. It's the fact that you belong to a family of God. And now, under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, guess what? Baptism is that mark. Baptism is the symbol, the mark that we all share together in common. And we declare and we show visibly when we go under the waters that this is a declaration that we have been separated from the world. We have been purchased by the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us now that we have been bought with a price. That means that you are not your own. 
What a beautiful thing to not be your own. Because when I try to be my own, I get in trouble. But the gospel tells us that Christ has purchased us with his blood, as we saw last week, as the Passover lamb. So this new identity, listen, it's not something that we can take or make a casual commitment to or just try to have a loose association with. Listen, if you think you can loosely affiliate with Christianity and that'll somehow be enough to get by, you do not understand what Christ has done for you. You're undermining what it cost him. So many people in our world today think that they can declare themselves a cultural Christian. And I would argue that in the South, listen, I'm from South Georgia. It doesn't get much more South than that, okay? I grew born and raised. And I understand and I see, and I see this tendency in my own life to think that, you know, down here in the South, in the Bible Belt, it used to be called, and not really anymore, but still we feel the effects of that. Culturally speaking, it's a little easy to be a Christian. And so culturally, when I was growing up in my small town, it was more like, hey man, nice to meet you. Where do you go to church? We just assumed everybody was a Christian. We just assumed they went to church somewhere. And so if you fall into that mindset that you think cultural, that Christianity is some cultural attachment you can just bring into your life to make you fit in with a certain crowd, you're missing the boat. You're missing the gospel. Jesus did not die so that you could just make some kind of loose affiliation with the church. So that you could casually commit your life when you feel like it or when it is convenient. So we have to beware of that danger. It's a poor representation of Jesus and his gospel. We can't claim to be a Christian if we don't care about the Lord and his church and his family and his mission for us. Think about the sacrifices. I mean, if you want to be blown away, look, think about the sacrifices the Egyptians and other foreigners would have had to make to follow the Israelites out of Egypt. Think about that. I mean, these people who went with the Israelites, and it doesn't say exactly who they were, but I'm assuming a lot of Egyptians did. Just think about this. They had spent their whole lives worshiping all these multiple false gods. And all of a sudden, people around them are dying. And they wonder what in the world is happening to our society. This one true God must be real. And he must seriously hate these false gods and hate sin. But he loves these people. He's protected them and he's leading them somewhere. But think about what they would have to give up. If you were an Egyptian in the ancient worlds and you're living there in that society, you would have to leave your family. You would have to give up your home. You would have to leave all behind to follow God. It wasn't easy. I tell you, those people didn't make some casual commitment to the church or a casual commitment to God. They were all in. They were serious about their new identity. God is calling you to embrace your true identity as his child with no restraints, with no limitations. We don't come to Christ with a list of things he must abide by if we're really going to follow him all the way. We come to Christ empty-handed and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Just as Isaiah said in chapter 6 of his, of his book, 
If you have truly trusted Jesus to be your Savior, then you are a child of God before you are anything else. That's who you really are. That brings us to our second point. God rescues us from sin to, number two, a new lifestyle. It's not just a new identity. That's great, right? It's great that you have that new driver's license in the kingdom of heaven. That's you. But it doesn't stop with the identity. It continues into a lifestyle. You see, salvation is the entrance into the kingdom of God. But it's a kingdom. Things are happening. It's a completely new way of living. And you live according to this kingdom's rules, not the worldly kingdom rules that you used to live by. And this new life in Christ is defined by worship. It's defined by obedience to his word. You know, it's easy for us to read over this ancient story and these prescriptions God gives the Israelites about how to observe and commemorate these events. It's easy just to kind of gloss over these, but listen, these are unbelievably important for the life of Israel moving out of that pagan nation surrounded by false worship to false gods. If they're going to become the people of God, they have to declare, not just annually, but daily, that they are serious about following God. It's a big deal. So they're going to need all kinds of ways to remember God's goodness and providing a substitute for their sin. That's what it always goes back to, the substitute. They have to keep reminding themselves it's not about them and how good they can be. They have to keep coming back mentally to the substitute. They need to learn how to love God, worship Him, and follow His Word as they are wandering around this desert, two million of them. What do they do? Keep coming back to the substitute. And so that's one reason why it's so important for them to dedicate every firstborn. To redeem the firstborn sons by making a sacrifice to remind them every time the firstborn comes out of the womb. God, this reminds us, look, remember, you remember what God did for us in Egypt? The blood of the lamb was our substitute so our son didn't have to die. Romans 6, 1 through 4 tells us and reminds us that as we keep coming back to the gospel, that Jesus, the Lamb, who died as our substitute in our place for our sin, that he saves us to a new life. And as we keep reminding ourselves of what he did for us, our hearts fill with gratitude, and that compels us to live according to his word, not in our former sin. Listen to this. What shall we say then, Paul says? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, hey, we know we're going to get grace because God is so gracious. His grace is greater than our sin. Does that mean that we can just go do whatever we want now? We can live however we want and disobey God's word now that we're a Christian, now that I've been baptized, I can just do whatever I want, Paul. Paul says, verse two, look at that. By no means, that is not what that means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's why baptism is such a beautiful picture. When you go under the water, it represents it's you. Your old self and all your former ways have been crucified with Christ, buried, done. And when you come out of that water, look at this. Verse 4, 
we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's a new life. Disciples following Jesus, living for him day in and day out. Our vision statement here at Kernan encapsulates that thought. This is, why, this is one reason why we have this vision statement to show the holistic approach to the Christian life. Kernan exists to glorify God by making disciples who worship with authenticity, walk in community and witness as we go. But the first two parts of our mission here is centered around this truth, right? It's a new lifestyle. It's about worship. It's about walking with Jesus. It's obedience to his word. We want to worship and love God with all our hearts, but we also want to walk with the Lord in obedience together as his redeemed community of people. So this is going to mean saying no to sin, right? We have to learn how to say no to sin and say yes to God's word and yes to what he has for us. Listen, when you're tempted to sin in any way, whatever it may be, in those moments, if you haven't hidden God's word in your heart, if you haven't been dwelling on the word of God, if you haven't been spending time in prayer when you're tempted to sin, it's going to be a lot easier because you know what? You're not coming back to the substitute. You're not reminding yourself daily of the gospel of Jesus and what he's done for you, what he's freed you from, the price he paid to free you to live not however you want, but to this new and better life. What a beautiful thing an opportunity we have to say no to temptation and no to sin and yes to something so much sweeter and better. Jesus himself, redeemed by his blood, the new life we have. This is going to be a daily effort. And that brings us to our third and our final point. Our lifestyle as Christians matters. How we live our lives if we're living our lives in continual patterns of sin, we're not going to be able to fulfill the purpose Christ has redeemed us for because God rescues us from sin to a new purpose. So you have a new identity. You've got a new lifestyle. You've got a new purpose every day for waking up if you were a follower of Jesus. You see, like he did the Israelites and anyone else who wanted to follow God, God gives us in the 21st century, through his word that he's given us 2,000 years ago, today we have that word. He gives us these good rules. He gives us good boundaries for who is a member of God's family because of the purpose of the family. The purpose is to represent him, to represent God to a lost world. And how amazing is that privilege? to be able to do that? And how challenging is that? For those of us in God's family, he gives us good rules to obey, good boundaries for obedience so that we can represent him well. This world, here's the thing, this world needs to see in you a changed life. If we keep returning back to our same patterns of sin, if we don't live in that new lifestyle, then we can't fulfill the new purpose. The world will not see any difference 
in you from them. If they can't make any distinguish mark between you, the way you live, and the things that you give yourself and your heart to, if they cannot see any difference at all between that and the way and the things they give their hearts to, then what purpose is there in your life? You're not fulfilling the purpose God has given you to represent him. Again, this is something we can't take lightly. This is why we do have to take God's word seriously as Christians. It's good. It's sweet. It's rich. It's powerful. We have to take it seriously. We have to study and meditate on it seriously. Read it. Love it. Obey it. This is one, this is one reason why we must be willing to sacrifice our comforts, our ambitions to follow God. The world is watching and it's our job to show them what the kingdom of God is like. They know what the kingdom of the world is like. We all know that. We feel it. We live in it. We're attached to it in many ways. But can we show them what the kingdom of the one true God is like? Think of the foreigners who joined the Israelites, what they were willing to give up. Like I mentioned earlier, that, that kind of commitment, that change in life and purpose speaks to the world around them. And note the emphasis in this story about teaching your kids when they ask why or because. You tell them constantly. You remind them of the substitute. Hey, kids, we're living a new life. In this house, we're living for a special purpose. We represent God. What if you raise your kids to believe that? What if you raise them to understand that we don't have to be like the rest of the world? We don't have to live like that. We can enjoy God's good creation and absolutely live and enjoy this world. But yet there's something different. We're listening to our creator. We love Jesus with all our hearts. We're reading his word and we're loving his word and learning to love it, learning to obey it. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says, that's our job. That's our purpose. To be an ambassador for who Jesus is. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's who we are now, church. That you may proclaim. Wait, why are we a chosen people? Why are we a holy nation? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Not the excellencies of you. So that we as a church may proclaim the excellencies of him. That's the new purpose. Who called us, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can the world see that you're not walking in darkness? Can they see the light in you? As God delivered the Israelites out of their slavery, gave them a new identity, a new life, a new purpose. Church, the good news is, so also in Christ Jesus have you been delivered from the power of sin and death to a new identity, a new lifestyle, a new reason, a new purpose for living. This is only possible because faith in Jesus unites us with the victory he's already accomplished. Listen to this. This is beautiful and it's, it's so perfect for thinking about what happened in ancient Egypt years ago, but can happen right now in your heart. Listen to this, Romans 6, 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him 
in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. I want you to know this morning that to be set free from the power and the enslavement of sin does not in any shape or form mean that you are now perfect. There is no such thing. There's only one who's ever been perfect, and it's not you. And it's not me. And that's a beautiful thing. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. As we live in this world, we're going to constantly feel the gravitational pull to its loves and its desires and its priorities instead of the kingdom of God. But you know what you have that's different? You have a new identity. You've been given a new life, a new heart, a new way. And you can live in that new life with a new purpose if you fully surrender your heart to Christ and you keep coming back to the substitute. You keep preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Don't give up on that. The gospel is our motivation for living. What else is? The fact that you have been called into the family of God, given instructions to live for him, a new purpose to be his his ambassador. What more motivation could we find? The gospel is the power for you to live for the Lord. So keep telling yourself, remind yourself, preach it to yourself every day. Get into the word of God. Spend time in prayer. Learn to love your rescuer, your savior. Learn to obey him. Learn to live with new purpose. If you have questions about anything we've talked about today, I want you to know that our team will be out in the lobby. So right after we sing, Kyle's going to close us out with a song, right after we sing today, come out there and find us. We'd love to talk to you about salvation, about baptism, about what it means to live a new life. So please come and find us if you have any questions at all. We'll be right out these doors. If you're a guest with us again, please stop by the cafe. I'd love to get a chance to meet with you uh, just briefly and just introduce yourself to me and, and get to know you a little bit. But guys, we, we have a great Savior. Jesus Christ has done everything we could never do. He died the death we should have died. And he has given us his resurrection life. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Well, let's stand. Kyle's going to close us out. And let me pray. And then when we finish praying, he'll close us. But let's pray and let's thank the Lord that we have been set free. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you that you have rescued us from our sin. Lord, that it has no power over us. We don't have to submit to it. Lord, we can submit to you every day. Jesus, give us gospel remembrance every day by spending time in your word, praying to you, thanking you, Lord, for being the substitute, the Passover lamb in our place who died for us. Jesus, it is you, not us. So give us great grace as we live our lives. Let us fall in love with your word. Lord, let us fall in love with the people, our new family, the church. 
Lord, let us learn to lean on each other for dependence on how to obey your word and instruction and accountability and grace, forgiveness, direction. Lord, we thank you that you have set us apart. Now, Lord, let us live as ambassadors, as true representatives for who you are, not half-heartedly, not with a loose affiliation. Lord, let us be all in. Thank you, Jesus, for new life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.